here we are. We're in the fifth chapter of James, and some of you are like, it's time for relief because James has no mercy. He keeps bringing convicting word after convicting word, and um, I'm ready for something light. Well, today is not the day that we're going to experience a lightness that comes from the Word of God. And uh, so he's going to address us and how we handle the things that he has extended to us, that he intends for us to steward for his sake, not for ours. He intends for us to steward and use for his sake and his glory. And so I want you to think about this in this moment. If you found out the moment you walked out of the doors of this church that you had nothing left, nothing, everything was taken from you, except for you and the people that are with you, how would you respond in the moment? Now, I'm not talking about you find out your house burned down and the car that was left in there and all your stuff, it's all gone, and you know what? All right, as sad as that makes me, I know I have a pretty substantial um, insurance policy on my home that I can replace everything. Now, that, that's, not, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about you didn't have the insurance policy to cover your home and its contents, and everything is taken away. How does your heart respond in that moment? I believe that there, are, there is an appropriate level of grief we need to experience when something like that happens. Permission permission to grieve because you've lost pictures, you've lost Bibles, you've lost memories. Now we have to start all over. That's okay. But I wonder if you're given enough time how your heart responds to the truth that your stuff is now gone. Listen to this parable that Jesus tells. Luke chapter 18, just listen along. A man approaches Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And he says, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And this man says, All these I have kept from my youth. You can kind of see him proud of how pure he sees himself to be. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Well, you know the response. You know the response. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus presents an opportunity for this individual to express his real faith, to place his faith, his real faith in the person of Jesus Christ. But because his wealth and his possessions and all of his stuff got in the way, it revealed as he walked away with his head down in shame. My stuff means more to me than relationship with Jesus Christ. We like, just as this rich young man revealed, 
we like to hide ourselves in the good things we are able to do. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't committed murder. I'm not a liar. But Jesus says, that's not enough. We like to hide ourselves in our righteousness, the things that we perceive to be righteous. But what, what Jesus is saying is, I'm about ready to get to the heart. I'm about ready to get to your heart. And I'm going to show you where your real faith is, your misplaced faith. There's no hiding. There's no cleaning your conscience with the good things you do. I think all too often we find ourselves walking away in shame, knowing that we place our faith in things we shouldn't, and that makes us dirty. And we need the person of Jesus Christ to resolve those things for us. So listen, James is once again about to batter our conscience. He's going to do it today. Misplaced faith. To trust in our money and our possessions. Jesus says again in the Sermon on the Mount. You can tell I've spent some time in the Sermon on the Mount over the last couple of weeks, can't you? A lot of what we draw today um, as, it, as it relates to James comes from the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So here comes James. That's misplaced faith. Trust in the things that God has richly provided for us and for our enjoyment. But the problem we run into is we make that our idol, we make that our God, and that is a misplaced faith. Rather, real faith is the one that seeks God's kingdom first. And this is what James really wants to get after today. Just after he declared that you cannot serve both God and money, Jesus also says in Matthew chapter 6, he's addressing those that were anxious about where we're going to get our food and where we're going to get our water and where we're going to get our clothes. And Jesus says, don't be anxious about these things, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or where are we going to get our clothes? Don't be anxious about these things. For the Gentiles, those who don't belong to God, they even know that we need these things in order to sustain life and to live. And yet the Father, Jesus says, knows that you need these things. But verse 33, a very familiar verse to each one of us, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you as well. Misplaced faith versus real faith. And James gets after it today. So if you would, will you turn to James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6? And we're going to take a look at and see what James has to say about misplaced faith. James 5, 1 to 6. Here we go. Read along with me. Come now, you rich, Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mow your fields, which you keep back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. 
You have condemned and murdered the righteous person, and he does not resist you. Please don't stone the deliverer of this word today. This is the word of God impacting you where you are. If this passage is a sobering passage to you, I'm going to ask you today to open yourself up to the conviction of the Holy Spirit because he has some things he wants you to learn today about where your faith truly is. Is it misplaced in the stuff that he has provided for me to steward for his glory and even for my good and my enjoyment? Or is my faith placed in the person of Jesus Christ, knowing the day may come where he'll say, I want you to sell everything, I want you to walk away from everything, and I want you to come follow me to somewhere. Listen, come now. Here's what I bet. You jump in your cars and you go home and you think through the things that Todd says over and over to make points and Jasper says over and over. Um, to make certain points or to get your attention. James says, come now. So listen to James say, come now, or maybe this, this is mine. Now listen to me. Tell me how many times you've heard me say, now listen to me, or I'll tell you what. It's time to listen. I'll tell you what. Wendy's is, here's the deal. You remember Pastor Ken? His was, get this. James is, come now. Come now, you rich So some of you are sitting here right now and you're saying, oh, praise God, he's not talking to me. Because there is no way God the Father would consider me to be rich. And you know what? You know he's not going to let you get away with that. Because he's about to bring a word that's going to impact you whether you think you're rich or not. See, the world, the world's In the world's standards, if you make $25,000 a year, that places you in the top 2% of most wealthy people on the face of the planet. And that's where some would like to go with this passage. Well, praise God, I am not rich in the eyes of the world. But let's think of it in these terms. I need to back up because I missed something ultra critical. As James is bringing this to us, as he is confronting us with our wealth, as he's saying, come now, here's what he's saying. Here comes the next test of your faith. The next test of your faith. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, chapter 1, whenever you face trials of various kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and this must finish its work so that you would be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Here comes the next trial. How do you handle your stuff? How do you handle your money? James chapter 1 says, here comes the temptation. God is not, he doesn't tempt anyone because he cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. And so you have this pile of your stuff sitting right next to you, the temptation to hold on to this stuff and use it for your sake and for your personal glory instead of turning it over to the Lord. It's revealing the evil desires that are in your heart to place your faith in these things, faith in these things. And then James chapter 1, once again, he says, here it comes. We're going to take the Word of God and we're going to hold it in front of ourselves. We're going to look into the mirror of the Word and we're going to let it reveal to us these places where we give in to temptation, areas where we need our faith to be refined and readjusted and replaced to where it's supposed to be. Not misplaced in this stuff, but placed 
in where it's supposed to be real faith in Jesus Christ. So here we go. Now, he says, come now, you rich. You rich. The U.S. poverty line is $26,500. That's the U.S. poverty line. So you can say, in, in relationship to the world, if you make $25,000, you are rich. But we don't live in third world making $25,000. We live in West Michigan, where the poverty line is $26,000, 26000 somewhere in around there, $26,000 annually. And so here's what that means. For a family of four, you, if you make $25,000, are somewhere right around the poverty line. So let's put this into our cultural context. You could make $25,000 and be considered wealthy here in the United States. Here's what I mean by that. You need to think of it in these terms. While James is speaking very directly to business people, business owners in particular, he's also speaking to you and I that are not. If you have a dollar's worth of or $10 worth of discretionary spending, so something you can use to purchase security for yourself, comfort, pleasure for yourself, influence for yourself, anything that you're able to use to bring these things to you makes you wealthy before the Lord. Because you're not just providing food on the table for your family or clothes for their back. You have something to bring yourself pleasure. James says, come now, you rich. And so, if you bought a coffee this past week or a donut, you are rich in James's perspective as he delivers this word. All right? Come now, you rich. He says, weep and howl. This is an intense form of grief because of what is about to come upon you, the miseries that are about to come upon you. James wants you to think about the intensity level of the weeping and howling like this. You have just lost a loved one, and you know that your weeping and your howling for the loss and the tears you are shedding for the loss of your loved one is not nearly sufficient enough to grieve the loss of this individual. They were way more important than just what I, how I am able to express through my grief. So I'm going to surround myself with friends and family. There are even those that would pay professional grievers in order to weep and howl for the misery that is coming because of the loss of an individual. That's what James is saying when he says that we must weep and howl for what? For the miseries that are coming upon you. What in the world are these miseries that are coming upon us? I want you to think now in terms of right now. Because King Solomon, who tested the, the, the ability of everything that this world has to offer, everything that the Creator has intended for us to see and experience and know, he put it all to the test, and he says that God himself has placed in the hearts of each one of us, this, it, this, this, he has placed eternity in our hearts that can only be filled by God himself. And the miseries that James is talking about that come upon us are the things, are the result of the things of this world that we try desperately to fill this hole with instead of with God. And if you think about what increase brings to you, I want you to think about the miseries that that introduces to you. So you think about it. When your car turns 15 years old and you have scratches and dings on the doors, you don't care where you park. 
You don't care what your kids eat in the car. You don't care the state of the carpet. Yeah, there's sand three inches deep in my car. I don't care because it's 15 years old and it has 225,000 miles on. I'm going to park right next to that guy that's 25 years old. He can ding my doors. I don't care. Now, you get a brand new car. Think of the misery that causes. I can't park anywhere. It will not leave my garage because it's in perfect condition and I refuse to see it get messed up. Nope. Nobody's riding in it but me because I don't want crumbs and I don't want cookies all over the back seat of the car. Think of the miseries that comes. Think about as your retirement portfolio increases the measures you take in order to make sure it remains what it is or it increases. Think of it in your terms. What are the things that reveal to you that because I have more of this, it has driven me into a place of unrest because it's something that I find myself beginning to place my faith in. Come now, you rich, weep and howl because of the miseries that are coming upon you. Here's another misery. If in the end it reveals that your comfort that comes from the things that you hold so tightly, if it reveals that they have become an idol to you, the misery, the ultimate misery that is coming is that you're going to stand before the Lord one day in judgment and have to answer for why this brought you more pleasure than Jesus himself. Come now. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are about to come upon you. And so that, this really provokes a really big question, and so we're getting into our, our outline right now. And so here's what it is. Here's the big question. How do you know you have a misplaced faith? Because I want to know, I don't want my faith to be misplaced because of the misery it causes me while I'm here, and also knowing the day is going to come where I'm going to have to stand before God and answer. How do you know you have a misplaced faith? And here's the first one. You hoard God's provision. Look at verses 2 and 3. Hoard. You hoard God's provision. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up for yourselves treasures in these last days. You have laid up for yourselves treasures in these last days rotted, moth-eaten, corrosion, eating your flesh. These are not pleasant words to consider. But this is what happens to the things that we determine we need to have. And when we have, we want more. And when we want more and we have, we want to protect and we want to keep because what does it do for us? It brings us security. It brings us pleasure. It brings us satisfaction. It brings us comfort. These things bring me status. They bring me influence. But what James is saying is these riches, which back in James at the time he penned this letter, riches were the food that they were able to provide for themselves, rotting. You hold on to it too long, it's going to rot. It's like Wendy, she'll go to the store and she'll buy lettuce and spinach and here's what I know, if we don't eat it right now, you don't want lettuce and spinach like four days later. Is that right? Or is it longer? Or is it less? But here's what I know, when spinach 
has had its day, you no longer want it. Jesus is saying, I'm providing for you right now, right now. Use it right now. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. Don't count on the food that you provide for yourself to sustain you. Count on me. Riches, garments, they become moth-eaten. Who likes the smell of mothballs? Certainly not me, but here's what mothballs are intended to do. These clothes that I refuse to get rid of, I'm going to put into this cedar box, and I'm going to fill it full of mothballs, and everything in there is going to smell like mothballs. Nobody likes the smell of mothballs, but they're, intention, they're necessary for those of us who believe we need to hold on to this stuff. I have seen our church over and over. Year, now, this is years ago. We would have clothing drives. This is before our relationship with the, uh, the, the Holland Rescue Mission. Now, we just say, take all your stuff that you're not using to the Holland Rescue Mission. But years ago, we would have a, both a fall and a spring clothing drive. And if you've ever seen our gym, we had rows and rows and rows of tables stacked in some places two feet high full of clothes that our church alone was able to provide for the community. So that would happen in the springtime, and that would also happen in the fall. So you have your spring clothes and your fall clothes. Well, you would think, well, it can't be that next year, but it was. Somehow, we were able to, year after year, provide so much for those in our community that are needy. And so, like, I celebrate the generosity of this church, but, but the answer, you know, the question is begged, where does it all come from? It comes from what? Discretionary spending, which makes us rich. Here's one that bothers me. Someone just challenged me this morning, can you preach without moving your hand? So, I'm going to put my hands in my pocket. Of my jeans. You know, I, I agree with Neil Diamond. We should live forever in blue jeans. That is exactly how we should dress. But something happened maybe 15 years ago, and I'm calling out the millennial generation. And it's also a confession. I, like, I don't like to look dopey, so I try and keep up with the fashion that's in but I'll wear a pair of jeans out, so I got a new pair of jeans. But here's what the millennial generation did. They determined that the fashion should be skinny and tight. You can't do this. You can't do it. Nor can you even bend over. But why, millennial hipster, did you determine that we needed to wear skinny? That's a problem. Now, praise God, it's trending back to something that fits appropriately. And I can put my hands in my pocket and preach with my hands in my pocket. But here's the deal. Hear that? Here's the deal. Get this. I'll tell you what. We, with our discretionary spending, have determined, I'm not going to let the moth eat my stuff. I'm just going to keep getting new stuff and new stuff and new stuff and provide for myself. Staying in fashion. Oh, oh, the weariness that comes, the misery that comes from trying to keep up. Shame on us. Shame on us. Gold and silver. You know what's kind of crazy? As James talks about the gold and silver uh, corroding, 
you know, I got to thinking, gold doesn't corrode. It's pure. Silk, when it's pure, silver doesn't corrode. It's pure. But these people were putting their trust in their gold and silver that was corroding, and some commentators suggest that the gold and the silver was impure and was mixed with some other kind of metal which would make, give it the appearance of corroding and corroding and rusting. And so when I think about that, I'm like, oh my goodness, they're placing their faith in something that's not even real. It's impure. Riches, garments, gold and silver. Why do we lay up for ourselves treasure in the last days? It's because we know. Hey, and we're in the last days. And I'm just, last days started from the day Jesus gave his life up to his resurrection until the next time he returns. Pray to God it comes soon before skinny jeans come back. We live in the last days. We're in the last days right now, and they are closer now than they ever were before, and we all know that. But in these last days, why do we store up for ourselves security, pleasure, comfort, status? Why is it that money brings us status? Why is it that possession, we seem to think, and it does for some reason, give us more influence? Why is that? That's a good one to wrestle with today. Why do I let the rich, who James says are the ones that are dragging me into court, why do I let them have more influence in my life than anyone else? Here's what tends to happen. Here's another parable. Luke chapter 12, someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide my inheritance. Already he's declaring all that money, whatever the inheritance is, I didn't earn that. It's not mine. It's been entrusted to me and my brother, and I want you to tell him to split it with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care, this is the parable, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus says it. Your life doesn't consist in the things you have. Remember inheritance. Now listen to what he says. And he told them this parable. The land, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. The rich man didn't do it. The land did it. The land produced plentifully. And he thought to himself... What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? He's declaring ownership over these things, even though the land is what provided plentifully. He is determined that this is the result of him. What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And verse 18 says, And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, and I will build larger ones. Hoarding. Hoarding. Stuff is mine. And I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, now's the time. It has arrived. It's time for us. It's time for me. I sounded like Gollum there, didn't I? Well, maybe that's what happens when we hold on too tightly to the things that the Lord has provided for us. We start losing our mind. And he says, it's time for me to relax, to eat, to drink, and to be merry. 
But God says, you fool. The night, this night, your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, prepared, whose will they be? And Jesus says, so it is with the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. How do you know if your faith is misplaced? If you can't get your car in your garage. If you have to consistently clean out the guest room when guests come. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where what? Moth and rust. It's almost like James heard Jesus say this, isn't it? Don't store up for yourself here on earth where moth and rust will destroy and where thieves will break in and steal, but rather store up for yourself treasures in heaven. That's the richness toward God as we are here on earth, storing up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart would be also. And you know what? I'm, I have to say with a bit of shame, I think sometimes in terms of wonder what my treasure looks like in heaven. All of this stuff I've stored up for myself as I've, as I've not committed adultery, as I've not murdered, as I've done right for the Lord. Let that not ever be our focus. Our responsibility before the Lord is to use the things that he has stewarded to us. That's our responsibility. It's his responsibility to give us whatever he has determined we should have, both here on earth and in heaven. Don't give too much thought to that. Know this, though, that your great treasure is in heaven, and there's going to be a day come where you're going to stand face to face with the greatest treasure ever known to mankind. Faith misplaced is us storing up for ourselves treasures on earth, hoarding This is my stuff. Faith rightly placed is storing up for yourself treasures in heaven. Living as though you were actually in the last days. I don't need this stuff tomorrow. Why? Because tomorrow Jesus is coming back. Using the stuff he has provided for you that he has stewarded to you for his glory and not yours. There's a great danger. The more stuff we get, the more content we get. And I know some of you are like, well, I've experienced discontentment because when I have, I want more. But I've seen people, they work their way up the corporate ladder, they save, they invest, and at the end of their life, they need nothing from God, nor do they need Him because they have what they have. They have what they want. So here's a big question for you. Those of us who are hoarders, and that means every one of us, those of us who are storing up for ourselves treasures on earth, here's the question. What are you storing up for yourself in these last days? Let me ask it this way. How are you being rich toward yourself and not toward God? How do you know you have a misplaced faith? Here's another one. You let others suffer at your expense. How far are you willing to go to make sure your stuff is taken care of? Listen to how far these wealthy landowners went as James penned this letter. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. 
you have condemned, look at verse 6, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person, and he does not resist you. How do you know you have a misplaced faith? You let others suffer at your expense. So James very clearly was writing to rich landowners. And back in this culture, this is kind of the way it went. You had the rich landowners and you had the poor that worked for the rich landowners. And you'll, you'll know that Jesus told another parable that sounds very similar to this, but here's what would happen. The, the poor would show up at, let's say, 6 o'clock in the morning to the marketplace expecting and hoping that someone would hire them for the day. They were day employees. And so the rich landowners would show up and they would determine, who do I want to hire today in order to take care of and harvest my crops? And so he would hire, 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 and then they would spend the day, six in the morning till six at night, and then they would stand and they would wait on full payment for what they had agreed upon with the landowner. This is what I will pay you for the day. There was no discretionary spending in that day for the poor. It was like, okay, I've put in my full day, and now I need to put food on the table for my family. And James is confronting the rich landowners because here's what they were doing. By fraud, they were withholding the very thing they had agreed to. It was in their power to help this man put food on the table for his family, no discretionary spending for the poor, only food in their bellies. You know, it's, uh, it's kind of fun to have a, helpful to have a dear friend who spent 20-some years as a financial advisor. He would tell stories to me that were just outrageous. Back in the early 2000s, he shared an account with me, without names, of course. He's not even in the state, so. And he said, I have a guy who was a family of six, and in the early 2000s, the, the poverty line was under $25,000 for um, a family of six. So he had this guy that he was working with that was given a job making $8 an hour. Now, if you do the math, that's like somewhere around $8,000 beneath the poverty line for a family of six. And my friend went on to tell me, Yet, this business owner had three homes scattered around the country, and he had access to other places around the world, and he was paying this individual $8,000 less than the poverty line. Here's my word to the employee. Don't resist them. Don't resist them. Prove yourself righteous before God. Don't resist them. You, number one, you don't have to work for him. And number two, you have no idea how generous he is otherwise. Do not judge him. Don't resist him, but don't judge him because you don't know. To the wealthy landowner, I would have said... I want you to read James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. 
and call me in the morning. How does this apply to you and me who are not business owners? The Lord provides us opportunity upon opportunity to express generosity with the discretionary money that he has provided for us. Personal account, the conviction of the Lord drove me to my knees as I'm standing in the Denver airport. It looked like the guy that was walking in front of me. Now, now keep in mind here, discretionary spending. Over the years, I've found a way to go skiing in Colorado on on a skier's dime, okay? A friend of mine, we, we, we cut corners and we do everything we can to be able to go skiing once a year in Colorado. So I'm going skiing in Colorado and I'm standing in the airport and I'm waiting on Vince to show up. And as I stand there, this guy that looks like the Lord took him in the moment and transported him from third world poverty and dropped him right in front of me. His eyes were yellow. His hair was yellowing around the edge. He was, his face was drawn. He was very, very skinny. It looked like his, his skin had just been, it, it was thin. And he walks by and he asks me for something. <laughs> it chokes me up even to say this. I said, no. And so I still had to wait an hour walking around this airport with this in my head. Here I am, I have a pocket full of 20s, and this guy shows up and asks for help. What do you do? You know what's going through your mind? Hey, you know what? He's probably going to take it and buy a bottle of whiskey. Hey, he's probably going to go and frivolously spend it on this or that. Hey, we justify why we shouldn't give, but when the Holy Spirit leans into you and he says, I want you to take a 20 out of your pocket, and I want you to give it to him. I want you to express generosity without any question about what he's going to do with it discretionary money. I did not need 20 bucks in my pocket. By every indication, he needed it way worse than me. And I pray that he used it wisely. And I praise God that he didn't let me off the hook with that one. You can tip big. You can tip big. You don't have to give 10% or 20% or 25%. You can give way more than that, discretionary spender. This is how it applies to us. How far are you willing to go in order to maintain your hoardish ways? Verse 6 is terrible. Look at it. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. It is within your power. To help this, these landowners were starving families to death because they were more concerned about their stuff, condemning them and murdering them by not providing for them, by holding back with fraud the very thing they had agreed to. How far are you personally willing to grow to maintain these ways? Here's another question for you. Who in your life is God asking you to be rich toward? No, 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 don't don't go, well, yeah, but he, well, yeah, but she... None of that. That individual stands before the Lord and answers for how he or she used the gift. You stand before the Lord and you respond to him based on how you listen to the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Who in your life is God asking you to be rich toward? All right, here's a a third and final one. How do you know you have a misplaced faith? You can't get enough. Listen to these words. 
Look at verse 5. You have lived on earth in luxury. What does that word provoke in your mind? You have lived on this earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. Man, those two words together just make me feel nasty. Luxury, self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. The imagery of a cow being raised up, fattened with the intent of the farmer to put it to death in order to make an income. Luxury. I stood on the top of a 10-story building in third world Liberia at the time, West Africa, at the time one of the poorest countries in the world. And I'm standing on top of this building with third world Monrovia city all around me. The sun is setting, it's beautiful in the sky, you can see it through the haze of the humidity, and I am standing on marble and comfortable couches all around and these sheets that are waving in the wind, opulence, while all around is poverty. When I see luxury, that's what I think of. Self-indulgence, here's the best way I can describe that, it drips with the deep fried grease of life. When we consume and consume, we fatten ourselves, revealing that we have with uncontrolled desire have determined that these things that God has created for me are my God instead of Him. Remember the, the eternity-sized hole that God has placed in your heart that He can only fill. And we are so guilty of fattening ourselves with the things of this world. Big question. How have you been living your life here on earth? How have you been living your life here on earth? So here we go. How do you know you have a misplaced faith? Because you hoard the things that God has provided for you. That you're willing to let others suffer at your expense and then you are living a life that expresses, I can't get enough. And so, here we are. How do I combat the temptation to place my faith in this stuff? Here's the answer. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be dripping with the grease, deep-fried grease of life, living a life of self-indulgence. I don't want to look like that. I don't want to be like that. So I have four things. Please take these away. How do I combat the temptation to place my faith in my stuff? You recognize the difference between what is temporary and what is eternal. Remember, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. Temporary. You're going to leave it to someone else, and there's nothing wrong with leaving for your children. Not, I'm not against that. But consider the size of this. Recognize the difference between what is temporary and what is eternal, storing up for yourself treasures in heaven, which is eternal. We're here 80, maybe 90 years, 95 if God is generous with our years. But one day we step into eternity, which lasts forever. Recognize the difference between temporary and eternal. Be kingdom-minded. Use the stuff that the Lord has provided for you to promote God and His kingdom which is everlasting. Here's a second one. 
recognize that you did not earn it. James tells us that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. He provided for you everything that you have stacked up over here. Everything, even your next breath that you're about to take, He is providing that for you. You didn't earn it. 1 Timothy 6 says this, All things are given to you for your enjoyment. Absolutely. But when the things that you enjoy here on earth, the created things, take place of Jesus in your life, you have a problem. So recognize that you didn't earn it. Here's a third one. Recognize that it is a test of stewardship. Here's the next test, James says. Are you willing to steward the things that God has given you? Yes, enjoy it, but use it to point other people to relationship with Jesus Christ. And here's a final one. This is, the, this is the icing on the cake. This is more than the icing on the cake. This is the whole cake with the icing made by the cake lady. When you're tempted to keep stuff for yourself, you remember the generosity of God the Father. When the thing that made God the Father most wealthy, he said, I'm going to turn him over to sinful men, to be beaten and bloodied and destroyed so that I could be in relationship, restored relationship with those that are mine, and I pray to God it's you. The generosity of God the Father by sending Jesus Christ to the cross is the most, is the ultimate expression of generosity. And if God the Father can do that for you, this stuff that he has provided for us, we should freely use with full and complete generosity to point others to the person of Jesus Christ and relationship with God the Father through him. Listen, there should be no guilt experienced if you have money. Your guilt comes from how you choose to use your wealth and the things that the Lord has provided for you. The goal is to be kingdom-minded. I praise God when I think about 2020, I praise God that he has placed me, us, in a church that has expressed incredible generosity. When we said we think we're going to have needs for people as they lose jobs and their health becomes an issue, um, would you be willing to give? And the church just poured out its generosity. Our church is very generous. So I'm so very happy to be along to Summit Church. I pray that the Word of God convicts you where you need to be convicted. Let's pray. Father in heaven, for some reason there is such freedom that comes from conviction. Lord, I suppose it's because I know that you care. Thank you for caring enough to not let us persist in our idolatrous ways. Lord, lean into us where we need to be leaned into. Lord, bring comfort where comfort is necessary. And use us, Lord, please. Have your way. May your kingdom come and your will be done in the life of each individual that is here. We give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.